Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of the co-host Paul Anderson here with co-host Pete Wall. Pete, how are you on this Oscars Eve evening? Oscars evening. There we go. Not Oscars Eve. Evening. Paul, you're a true gentleman, <laughs> but you know how I am. I'm in the doghouse because we actually just recorded a big chunk of our podcast for the listening <laughs> pleasure of all the listeners out there. And one of us, Paul, that was me, hadn't pressed the record <laughs> button. So it turned out that we had to start all over again. That golden content is lost to history but we're going to have another run at it and it's going to be maybe even better than the first time around so thanks for asking Paul I am fine although I am a little bit red in the face and embarrassed about the fact that I've just wasted <laughs> your time and mine on uh, not it's recording all the show good Pete don't worry don't worry because I mean I enjoyed myself so much for the first 20 minutes why not repeat them? exactly exactly <laughs> we've got that opportunity now so the show this week is going to be uh, nodding towards the fact that we are recording on the night that the Oscars or Academy Awards take place we are not going to be watching or sort of live blogging or anything like that um, because of the fact that we're in the UK and we'd have to stay up all night I don't think I'll I might stay up actually I'm not working tomorrow I haven't Ooh. decided yet oh okay yeah. okay I take I'm it back off tomorrow so we shall see I might we'll see what happens we may have but... Paul live tweeting the entire ceremony I mean who <laughs> knows uh, but yes in order to nod towards that ceremony and do something on the show that connects with it, we're going to have a top five this week, which is top five uh, Oscar nominee picks. What we mean by this is the particular winners that we think should be uh, awarded in particular categories. So, for example, if we have a strong feeling about sound editing or mixing, which we probably don't, but if we did, then we might push that particular nomination that we think deserving of that award up in our rankings or of course bigger awards like best picture or, or best actor or actress and so on before all of that though we've got not one but two feature reviews this week paul what are we covering uh we're covering uncut gems and the lighthouse which is uh, i'm very excited to talk about both of those films in all honesty i yeah I, I made no secret of the fact last week that i enjoyed them both immensely um, so yeah very excited to get into that absolutely yeah it's it's an awful lot to get to so we won't waste any time before the feature reviews though we always have the section of the show which is coming attractions we'll be previewing or talking about the films that have released over this weekend we're recording on a Sunday night which is unusually late for us the show will be dropping on a Monday therefore this weekend's releases is what we're going to be looking at there and before that we've got popcorn movies where we review things we've seen over the last week for both of us quite a lot of things so we'll try and condense those down to the key films maybe from from that section and before all of that we go into the foyer this is the part of the show we talk about or where we talk about film news there's only one story i think paul that we both really wanted to talk about this week isn't there uh, yes, so this is the news um, that Studio Ghibli have launched, well, dropped, an, or will be dropping a large number of their back catalogue onto Netflix, um, which is great for anyone who wants to catch up with Studio Ghibli films because they are now readily available on a streaming platform that I would imagine a lot of people have. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was this was a thing that, yeah, we covered and said, oh, it seems very unlikely that this is going to happen on any streaming platform. And then, lo and behold, just weeks later, it's almost like we don't know, you know, the inside sidetrack on everything that goes on in the movie industry I mean who would have thought it but what we've got is a rollout of 21 Studio Ghibli uh, 
feature films. And these begin with a group of seven which have already dropped on the platform on the 1st of February. They're then followed by another seven on the 1st of March and another seven on the 1st of April. Um, just to run down what's already available, Paul, we've got Castle in the Sky, My Neighbour Totoro, or Totoro, I'm not sure, uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, Only Yesterday, Porco Rosso, Ocean Waves, and Tales from Earthsea. Are there any there that you particularly want to catch up with that you haven't before? Uh, most of the most of the first batch I haven't seen actually. I've seen My Neighbor Totoro, uh, which I love. I think it's an incredible piece of work. Um, if you haven't seen it, definitely check that out. The others I don't think I have seen, in all honesty. Um, which, as I mentioned when we first started recording, is shameful because I've got a Miyazaki box set sitting there, just gathering dust at the moment. So this will probably encourage me to watch those, so then I can say, well, I've already seen it, so I don't need to watch it on Netflix. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, and it might yeah. lead, uh, I would imagine, to either one of us or both of us doing some popcorn reviewing of. Of Studio Ghibli films from the archive in the in the coming <laughs> oh, yeah, weeks sure. actually. Then first of March, not long to wait until then. We've got Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. We've got Princess Mononoke. We've got My Neighbors, the Yamadas, Spirited Away, probably the best known of the Studio Ghibli productions. The Cat Returns, Arietti, and the Tale of Princess Kaguya. And finally, on the first of April, Pompoko, Whisper of the Heart, Howl's Moving Castle. Ponyo or Ponyo on the Shore uh, from up on Poppy Hill not one that I know a lot about The Wind Rises that I'm very keen to catch up with and When Marnie Was There so an awful lot to sink your teeth into whether you're a newcomer to Studio Ghibli or maybe you have some experience with the studio and you want to go back and revisit some of those classic films right Paul? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's an exciting time. And I think it, it marks the start of what is being dubbed um, in certain media outlets as the streaming wars, I think, mm. um, insofar as uh, the, Disney Plus launches in the UK next month, uh, but it's already out in the US. And obviously they've now they've now locked away all their Star Wars content, all their own Disney content onto Disney Plus. Like no, no new content will be going onto Netflix from Disney. Um, so Netflix kind of needed their own yeah this is this is i think the first shot fired in retaliation really from netflix and i think we'll see more of this with different streaming services now i think you'll see um a lot of exclusive back catalogs go onto certain streaming services and, and come off of others which is great if you've got that streaming service not so great if you haven't yeah because this arms race i mean paul is very much about locking in a user base uh, as far as i understand it anyway i think that it's inevitable yeah. that we're going to get price hikes in the future so what we're doing or what we're seeing right now is the likes of netflix basically being a massive loss leader in terms of their acquisitions where they're plowing money into things like the acquisition of the studio ghibli content and that is predicated on the idea that in the future the subscription fee for netflix can be raised because they'll have such loyalty from subscribers who don't want to lose that content you know going forward and the same with disney plus and, and other platforms apple are obviously in the ring as well now um so it'll be interesting to see who has the edge here but certainly you can't overestimate how great of a back catalogue this is and how big of an acquisition it is right to get a studio like this with such a great reputation amongst cinephiles and you know the general public if they've encountered mm. this work before and if they haven't now's the time yeah absolutely yeah no i think it's it's a it's a cracking acquisition for them and i think it will yeah i think it will benefit them going forward for sure and yeah it's not it's always good to see because these these are the kind of films that generally if you're looking to purchase the physical media of these kind of things the box sets are expensive um they're, they're hard to come across and the, the certainly the individual films tend to hold their value so if you wanted to collect these physically you'd be looking at 
probably still 10 15 pound of blu-ray to be honest which is you know which adds up so yeah it's nice to see them all in one place that we've yeah done. So, yeah yeah i think this is a big win for and them. a terrific boon as well i think for parents who subscribe to netflix because you've got obviously the tab in netflix for the, the sort of kids content there that filters out adult stuff um you know that's not intended for children but like with these studio ghibli films generally you're looking at u certificates and pg certificates so you've got all this great creative content that kids can enjoy from a pretty young age so i think that's a a, yeah really valuable thing for the platform as well but um anything more to add on the acquisition paul or should we move on uh no not on the no no all good in which case we'll uh, bow out for just a moment and we'll be right back with a section of the show that we call popcorn movies right after this So, Popcorn Movies, as regular listeners will know, is a section of the show where we review any film, either young or old. In this case, for me this week, it's three films that have been out of the cinema because there's been a packed cinema release schedule over the past couple of weeks and I've been trying to catch up with everything new that interested me. I may get there, but it's been, it's proving tricky. Um, so, with that in mind, um, the first film is a film that I did not expect to go and see and only went to see on the recommendation of a friend who said no you'll be quite surprised it's actually quite good uh this is bad boys for life uh the third in the bad boys series um started by michael bay um this time round directed not by michael bay thankfully otherwise i may not have gone to see it uh by adil and bilal i believe they're going as the, the directors um they're a belgian duo who i know very little about um in all honesty um but they've picked up the reins from michael bay um will smith's back Martin Lawrence is back. I mean, you couldn't have done Bad Boys film without Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. Um, yeah, what a pleasant surprise this was, Pete. I'll, I'll be honest, I did not expect to enjoy this in the slightest. I thought it would be ropey. I didn't think it would be funny. I thought the chemistry would be gone. It was quite the opposite. Uh, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are clearly having a great time back in their roles. Um, they've still got chemistry together. They're still pretty funny. Um, the set pieces are thoroughly entertaining. The film sort of blazes along at a decent pace. Um, it's got some nice twists and turns in it. Joe Pantoliano's back as the angry, shouty captain as well, which is great. Um, and I, yeah, I had a great time with this. As I said, it completely defied my expectation. It, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna break any boundaries of, of action cinema, or or it's not a game changer by a long stretch. But as a as a thoroughly entertaining piece of popcorn entertainment, um, I had a good time with it. Um, kind of. Felt like it's kind of silly in the way the Fast and Furious movies don't take themselves too seriously. So yeah, it's that if you go into it with that kind of in, with that kind of mindset, I think you'll have quite a good time with it. And it is a damn sight better than the awful Bad Boys Two as well, you, which is good. Do you think, Paul, this this is going to do decent business at the box office? Because not that that's my primary concern, of course, but after something that flops so hard like Gemini Man for Will Smith, mm. does this feel? I mean, the screening you went to, full, half full, empty? What what was it like? Yeah, I went in the day, right. in fairness. So it's it's difficult to gauge. There was a, more in than I thought, to be honest. I don't know how well it's done actually, mm. um, but it's, it's been out a while now. I mean, they, you know, it, be, it being Hollywood, being Hollywood, it is left open for a sequel. So um, yeah, maybe we'll see. We'll see. Oh, opening weekend, opening gross in the US was a budget ninety million. It's grossed one hundred and sixty-six million in the US so far. Three hundred and thirty-six, three hundred and thirty-six million worldwide. Still so. Doing all right, yeah. It's made it's certainly not 
it's certainly not a write-off, so that should be interesting. But yeah, and deservedly so. It's all right. It's a lot of fun. I enjoyed yeah, it. And it. Bad Boys for Life, indeed. Yeah, and the, and the property survived <laughs> even without the great Michael Bay. Uh, who would have thought? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so first for me this week is uh, a film from, well, it's weird to go from uh, sort of ex-Michael Bay property to a Peter Berg property. Peter Berg, who seems to make exclusively films about heroic Americans, pretty much. Yes. And some of them are really good, and some of them are a bit middling, and some of them are a bit dull. But in this case, Friday Night Lights from way back in 2004, before they'd even dreamed of rolling out a whole TV series with Kyle Chandler and episode after episode based on the same topic, which is, of course, high school American football. American football, not a, support, not a sport, I should say, that I particularly care about. I mean, a few years ago, Paul, we met up uh, to hang out and watch the Super Bowl and quit halfway through this match we failed miserably at watching the Super Bowl uh, only to wake up the next morning and discover that we'd missed out on the most famous second half fight back in American football history (laughs) by the sounds of things so yeah that's what we know about this this sport and when to anticipate greatness but in this one you have for those who don't know Billy Bob Thornton leading a high school football team on a heroic pursuit for glory it's based on a book from uh, H.G. Bissinger uh, telling the true story of the Permian High Panthers, this team that were unfancied and rose basically from the ground to become a force in high school American football, which is a way bigger deal than we can conceive of in the UK with any equivalency to high school anything in our country, to be fair. Uh, Yeah, there are a couple of massively rousing moments in the film. The action on field is pretty uh, exhilarating as far as watching a a sport you don't care about could be exhilarating. Uh, In addition, Paul, on top of all this, you have the swells, the glorious swells of explosions in the sky. Uh, The band that soundtracked, uh, soundtracked a few films, but when they bring their skills to play on a soundtrack to almost anything, it elevates it to a level of sort of inspiring and uh, heart-wrenching and heartwarming that probably the material itself doesn't fully earn or deserve. There's also, uh, yeah, a couple of other like choice cuts on the soundtrack that just get you fired up and it's hard to dislike something that gives you such a sort of kinetic experience moving through what is a pretty generic plot of like an underdog story to an eventual rise and climax. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton's really good in it. Uh, Some of the young actors in the team also give strong performances and I think for me it's right up there with a couple of the best of Peter Peter Berg's films I think. So I enjoyed it a lot more than maybe I expected I would. That's Friday Night Lights. Now I'm not saying I'm going to watch a whole TV series about the same subject. (laughs) This was probably enough for me but it's worth checking out if you're into uh, what I've described and particularly Explosions in the Sky because man there's a lot here an awful lot. Uh, What else (laughs) have you seen Paul? Uh, yeah, I'm very excited to catch up with uh, Bait, um, the British film from last year that has been that is I think been quite high up on a number of films of 2019 lists, and it pleased it pleases me to say deservedly so. Um, I managed to see this on the big screen because Odeon put it on for one night only, which is always nice to, to catch up with stuff at the cinema when you can. So um, yeah, big thanks to Odeon for doing that. Um, yeah, Bait. What can I say about Bait? Directed by Mark Jenkin. Um, it, it's a drama about a Cornish fisherman um, and. And kind of his his troubles adjusting to life in a more gentrified in his more gentrified village, shall we say? So it's there's there's certain there's certain uh, 
there's a, a kitchen sink approach taken to some of the drama here, um, which you know doesn't always doesn't sound like it's going to make for the most interesting of films based on that premise alone. But it is far from uh, a disinteresting film. It's it's an incredibly interesting film. It's fantastically shot. Um, it's there's a bizarre kind of eerie feel to the whole to the whole film that feels like quite something I haven't seen with this kind of material before. So um, there's some fantastic fantastic camera work the cinematography is incredible the editing is is absolutely superb there's uh there's some very yeah some very very fast cuts in in conversations i just i haven't seen a film quite like this before uh but i'll be honest with you that it ended in the cinema and i just wanted to watch it again like it's it's a tight 90 minutes again which helps but yeah no it's just it's an absolutely incredible piece of work and i think possibly on repeat viewing it may end up kind of shunting a number of films out of their place for when we did the films of last 2019 bait would sit very very highly in that very very highly in that list um yeah it's just it's utterly compulsive beautifully shot and the sound design is remarkable as well yeah it's just it's one of those films that just grabbed me from the moment i the moment i got into the cinema and for the moment i left and i haven't stopped talking about it since so yeah bait is an incredible piece of work and it de- deserves all the plaudits that come to it but did you like it though uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's one of those, Paul. When I was watching uh, the coverage of the BAFTAs d- just the other day, uh, every time Bait, I think, had a few nominations amongst all, all the BAFTA categories. And each time they showed a clip from the film, as you were describing, it seems so sort of of its own world and so different mm. to other things, at least released over the last sort of 12 months or so, that I'm definitely interested enough. Uh, it's piqued my interest enough to, to want to catch up with it as soon as possible. So I look forward to that. Uh, one that, Paul, you don't need to worry about catching up with. I wouldn't think you've got better things to do in your life is a film called Jexy which came out last October in the US but has just dropped on Netflix in the UK uh, over here Uh, this one is a vehicle for Adam Devine Adam Devine he of Workaholics one of the three lads in Workaholics who were basically uh, I would say very good in that series it was an entertaining yeah Workaholics was fun yeah Yeah, yeah. Gillian Bell also kind of came out of that series and established herself and she's gone on to, to some really good things as well unfortunately in my opinion Paul, almost everything Adam Devine's done since Workaholics has been sort of okay to absolute steaming garbage. And in the case of uh, Jexy, Jexy for a start, I mean, the name of the film offends me, but <laughs> Jexy is basically like the, the uh, film Her, but having had a lobotomy. So you've got a right, central okay. character. He gets a new smartphone. The new smartphone has a voice assistant. The voice assistant here, played by Rose Byrne, uh, in a is the voice assistant called Jexy? Yes, am I, yes, am I, yes, yes. Okay. For some reason, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all the while, this guy has a nine to five job working in a content farm, kind of like a BuzzFeed office, where all you've got to do all day is come up with lists. The boss here, played by Michael Pena, who is quite funny in this, comes in and tells everyone, right? Uh, for example, the divine character. He says, right, you've got to come up with 50 lists by the end of today. <laughs> and you think, how am I doing that? How am I coming? So these are all, you know, like, like we would do on the show, I guess, but obviously a lot less good and a lot less research than what we do. Uh, so yeah, his voice assistant starts to take over his life and tell him what to do and lead him astray and irritate him and then eventually develop kind of psycho bitch feelings for him, whereby she feels scorned once he begins a, a sort of burgeoning romantic relationship with a character played by the actress Alexander Ship. Alexandra Ship is way too good for this material i mean she's kind of great 
on screen. She's a really magnetic screen presence, and she, yeah, like I say, is better than this. There are also a few cameos worth your time. Uh, Wanda Sykes is an angry store assistant who just kind of berates the Adam Devine character for everything that he says or does. Uh, Ron Funches, the stand-up comedian's in this, and he's quite funny. Uh, and also, I want to mention, there's a guy called Justin Hartley who plays Alexandra Ship's character's ex-boyfriend who returns from travels to expressively win her back in the face of Adam Devine, who, let's be honest, is maybe not the most handsome man on the face of planet Earth. Uh, that cameo from that guy, uh, Justin Hartley, is great. So this film, steaming garbage by and large, uh, you don't need <laughs> right. it in your life, but maybe just skip through it and check out this guy because he's really, really good. That one's Jexy and it's on Netflix now. What else have you got, Paul? Uh, the other film I wanted to talk about this week is another new release. This is uh, Underwater from uh, director William Eubank, uh, starring Kristen Stewart uh, Vincent and Vincent Cassell, and TJ Miller, who's annoying in this. I'll just get that out of the way uh, before I carry on talking about the film. Um, yeah, I've seen this film um, take a few knocks. So the, the premise of this film... Um, yeah, so I'll go with the IMDb again because they do it quite well. Uh, a crew of aquatic researchers work to get to safety after an earthquake devastates their subterranean laboratory. So in this case, they've done it badly because this is under the sea. Um, so we'll ignore the IMDb synopsis for this. So yeah, so they are drilling very, very deep down under the sea um, where they shouldn't be. They disturb something. There's something else in the water with them, Pete. It's a creature feature. Uh, it makes that quite clear from the trailer. Kind of the DNA of, of Alien is kind of all over this and those kind of films. And less we say it perhaps deep rising as well if anyone's a, if anyone's a, a fan of that film um yeah I, I this from what i was reading this film took a few knocks to be honest and i don't think it's entirely deserved because i had quite a good time with this i think yes it's rushed massively so yes the characters are massively underdeveloped but it was a tent it's a tent cinema ride um and i had quite a good time with it i thought it looked great some of the the practical effects work is good some of the cgi is not as good but there's still quite there's there's a nice sense there's a great sense of of uh claustrophobia around the whole thing because they are trapped sort of six miles underwater um the film's tense it rockets along at a decent pace um and yeah much like bad boys for life it was a, a thoroughly entertaining uh, time at the cinema not perfect by a long shot it's not going to win any awards it's not going to bother any any films of the year list for sure but i think it got a bit of a bad rap and i had a great i had a good time with it mm. so yeah i would say if yeah if you fancy if you fancy kind of just a uh, a tight a tight thrilling flawed action film underwater is the way to go um yeah i enjoyed it yes uh, i like my action films like i like my women flawed uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was very close to going to a screening of this paul and and narrowly didn't because other things got in the way but now i'm kind of keen and also i feel like i'm a bit of a Kristen stewart completist at this point so uh, i yeah. kind of want to get along to it just for her if nothing else uh one more for me this week is another netflix release at least in the uk uh, it came out on the 7th of February, so just over the, the last few days, actually. This one, Horse Girl. Now, this is an interesting proposition, I think more so than the other two things I've talked about. This is co-written and stars Alison Brie. Alison Brie, of course, from Community. Uh, I think people know her maybe most from there. Uh, and recently, the one about uh, wrestlers. Uh, Glow. Glow, thank you, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the other co-writer here is Jeff Boehner, who is also the director. Jeff Boehner's last movie was The Little Hours, which was the 
kind of comedy satire send up of nuns in a nunnery. I enjoyed the little. I that got bad. I got too much of a bad rap. That was good. I, I thought it was good. I thought it was yeah. funny. Yeah. And and before that, and I think you know presciently to this particular release was a film called Joshy in which Thomas Middleditch I described it on the show in Popcorn Movies I think Thomas Middleditch plays a character who goes on a stag do although he's not going to get married anymore because his partner took her own life the partner there is played by Alison Brie and the circle is complete in this one we are with the Brie character who works at a fabric and crafts um, emporium shop if you like. Um, that's important, like a lot of things I think in the film here. She's often seen in sequences cutting through fabric and this is a sort of foreshadowing of what's to come when the fabric of her own life, her identity, her sense of time and space begins to come away, begins to separate. This is a woman who is on the very brink of like a psychotic break, it seems like. Um, she is haunted by events of her past, they impacting her state of mind and her dreams are sort of starting to bleed into what she sees as reality in the world. The thing that I think is to the great credit of uh, Jeff Boehner here and Alison Brie as a collaborator is that this is a film about mental health issues centrally that I think does a good job of placing the audience in the position of someone who is going through the sort of confusing maelstrom of feelings, emotions and perceptions that may go along with being in a situation like this. And it seems to me quite a deeply caring depiction of a person in a really, really distressing time in their life, to say the very least. Uh, I should also mention this is co-produced by the brothers Duplass, Mark and Jay Duplass. And Jay Duplass has a role later in the movie as a counsellor within a facility that Bree's character is uh, spending some time at, shall we say. Um, I, I'm sort of on the very brink of saying that this is great work and I'm not quite there I think I need to re-watch it I think that there's a lot to take in and there's a lot to consider here it goes kind of magic realist as it gets towards its conclusion in ways that might be reminiscent of something like Safety Not Guaranteed that wasn't okay. the film I particularly went with by the time it had concluded whereas in this case I did feel more swept along in it. And that's helped as well by the most empathetic side or supporting character actress that you could possibly choose to put in your film. And that's Molly Shannon. Every time I look at Molly Shannon's face, I want to cry. So uh, yeah, th this is a really interesting piece of work. And I left it to last because I think it's the one that I want to highlight that people should take the time to check out. Uh, it's called Horse Girl and it's currently streaming on Netflix, at least in the UK, I would expect in, in the US and elsewhere as well. Nice, yeah, I'll check it out this week. I haven't got to it yet. So, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that one. Looking forward to that one indeed. Um, that's it for me from Popcorn Movies. I've watched a few other bits this week, but I want to leave time, obviously, to do our Oscars chat and our feature review. So, yeah, that's it from me and us for Popcorn Movies this week. We'll be back after this with Coming Attractions. So, we are back. Coming attractions. We're going to highlight three films that came out over the weekend that you might want to go ahead and see at the cinema, or you might want to avoid. Who knows? Oh, first one. Can you decide which camp this falls into, Paul? This is a little film called Doolittle. 
Doolittle, an action-adventure comedy, is uh, centred on a physician who can talk to animals. Who would have thought? It's almost as if this film's been made already. Uh, he embarks on an adventure to find a legendary island with a young apprentice and a crew of strange pets. This one, uh, directed by Stephen Gahan and starring Robert Downey Jr., Antonio Banderas and Michael Sheen amongst a cast of badly CGI'd animals. Any interest on your part in Doolittle, Paul? I mean, I went to see Cats, so I'll probably see this. Yeah, yeah, fair. <laughs> I mean, I can entice you further, sir. Okay, I, yeah. I can entice you further. Get the, the hairs standing up on the back of your neck when I tell you that this currently has a meta score of 27 from a possible yeah, 100 it's been, points. It's been savaged. I think it's, yeah, Universal are not doing too well with their recent releases, I don't think. Um, yeah, as I said, I saw Cats, um, so I will probably see this at some point this week. Um, and yeah, I'll let you know my full thoughts. Am I excited about it? Do I think it's going to be any good? No. Will I see it? Yes. And, I'm a glutton for punishment. And yeah, Paul, can, can I just sort of add? We've got like here uh, Emma Thompson, Rami Malik, John Cena, Kamel Ninjani, Octavia Spencer, Tom Holland, Craig Robinson, Ralph Fiennes, Selena Gomez. Like every single working actor is in the I cast. Think they've, they've, they've clearly invested a lot in this, I think. Yeah. And I think we're expecting this to do quite big business. Um, and from the look of it, no. I think it's opening weekend. It's not done. It's not done well critically or commercially. So. Um, yeah, I'm intrigued to see what a mess they've made. Yeah, would you say, Paul, would you say, hilariously, that it has done little? Right. Yes. Yes. I would agree well, with that something, statement. Something... I'm, not sure I get the, I'm not sure I get the joke, but right. I, I would agree with that. I'll explain it to you when we finish. <laughs> um, so a film that definitely hasn't done little, it's done an awful lot, and a film that's going to go on to do a great deal, I think, uh, you know, not least at tonight's Academy Awards, is the second coming attraction this week, which is... Bong Joon-ho's film Parasite finally receiving a UK release way later than everybody else and unfortunately it seems like the success of the rollout of this film might end up convincing distributors that they want to carry on doing this this sort of practice of releasing something in the UK way after everywhere else in the world. Uh, Parasite tells this intriguing story, I mean we've both seen it, cards on the table, but uh, this tells the intriguing story of a uh, initially a young lad who in inserts himself into a wealthy family by becoming a private tutor within that family and then brings along with him other members of his family who eventually find their own positions within that family like you could say parasites. Uh, Bong Joon-ho is interested in a great deal more than just the underclass leeching off the upper class uh, or the upper middle class in this case. Parasite, Paul, I can't ask you if you're excited for it but are you excited to talk about this on next week's show? Uh, yes, I am very excited to talk about this. It was, yeah, it's an incredible piece of work and very excited to talk about it. And hopefully, well, we'll get to what I think, wh whether I think it should win any Oscars, perhaps in our top five segment um, after we've talked about the other films we're reviewing. But yes, very excited to talk about Parasite. Go and see it. I mean, I love, I'm very happy with the fact it's, it seems to have got a very wide release, which no one expected, I think. So um, yeah, this is interesting. I mean, we've had to wait for it, but they have put it wide to a lot of cinema screens and I think it's quite readily available and quite easy to see this one so that's always a good thing um, even if we have made to been made to wait a long time for it so yeah check it out Go and definitely go and see Parasite yes absolutely Metascore currently 96 as if you needed any more convincing after that <laughs> yeah. uh, that little preview there from us guys uh, I think it's the top reviewed film on Letterboxd as well of all time at the moment 
It, it certainly it? was at one point last year, yeah. Yeah, yeah which is interesting. There's always so, a bit yeah. of like recency bias with that, but yeah, it's definitely yeah. testament to the fact that it's a great piece of work. So yeah, like you yeah. said, go and watch it. Uh, lastly then for this week is Birds of Prey, or to give it its full title, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Wow, it's a lot of syllables in a single title. Uh, this tells the story of Margot Robbie's um, characterization of Harley Quinn, who has split from the Joker and is finding her own way in the world, a way in the world that involves basically a personal disintegration and then rising up alongside a group of women who call themselves the birds of prey as you might have guessed from the title of the film paul i've seen this one only today but i want to know from you where are your anticipation levels at with birds of prey right now middling with this one to be honest i mean i i hated suicide squad with the force of almost almost a thousand suns shall we say um despite margot Robbie doing some okay work in it i didn't I, yeah she, she was the highlight of suicide squad for sure so this one, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm middling in, in, in anticipation for this one, to be honest. So for me, I think it could go either way. So Cathy yeah. um, Yan, I think, is the director That's here, right. not a director I'm hugely familiar with, but um, yeah, yeah I was, I'm, I'm intrigued. I was just going to say, Paul, like we've got to bear in mind here, or people should bear in mind, that this is not the same team that made Suicide Squad. No, and it's, it's a not, completely no. different director. Uh, and we've got Margot Robbie as exec producer here and with a lot more say in how this thing was put together. So make of that what you will. Um, as someone who who's seen it i would say i be optimistic be optimistic okay. uh, as far as i'm concerned but um yeah we will review that one on next week's show alongside parasite that we've just spoken about as well so that'll be another double feature next week we look forward to that but before anything else paul let's take a little break so i can take a breath and then we'll come back with our feature reviews for this week which are uncut gems and the lighthouse right after this Okay, so yeah, as Pete said before the break, uh, we'll start with Uncut Gems, I think, is the first feature review. Happy, are you happy with that, Pete? Sure. Yeah, okay. So Uncut Gems um, is the latest project from the Safdie brothers, who are directors that I'm becoming increasingly very, very fond of, shall we say. Uh, not personally of their work, I haven't met them. I'm sure they're very nice guys. But yeah, certainly, certainly fond of their work. Um, starring Adam Sandler and uh, co-starring um, a new newcomer to uh, Hollywood screen, certainly, um, in Julia Fox, but we'll talk more about her performance later. Um, Pete, set this one up for us. Yes, so uh, I'm going to do what you did previously because I'm tired, so I'm going to lean on the IMDb. Um, a charismatic New York City jeweller, always on the lookout for the next big score, makes a series of high-stakes bets that could lead to the windfall of a lifetime. Howard, this is the Sandler character, must perform a precarious high-wire act, balancing business, family and encroaching adversaries on all sides in his relentless pursuit of the ultimate win. This is Adam Sandler. I would say, like you've never seen him before, but then if you've seen his sort of edge of sanity performance in Punch Drunk Love, then you'll be a bit familiar with the fact that Adam Sandler, to my mind, has essentially wasted vast swathes of his career when he could have been making really significant and interesting yeah, work. Yeah, for his sure, his yeah. bank account might say otherwise in terms of how wasted that time was, but needless to say, in this thing, we get Adam Adam Sandler, the real actor, giving a real performance in a film that is actually about something, uh, which is more than you can say for an awful lot of his output of late. Before we get into our uh, thoughts on Uncut Gems, let's hear a little clip. Where are you going? Late night event. Yeah, okay, sure. 
I want to talk to you. Just sit down and we don't have to do it here. I made a crazy risk, a gamble, and it's about to pay off. Howard, where's the money right now? You said I got till Monday. Today is still Monday. Is it too late? I'm begging you, just give me another shot. Are you serious right now? Who's the girl living in your apartment? What'd you say? You like the way things are going now? Get the kids out of the house. You like to win, right? This is no different than that. Black Joe Howard. This is me. This is how I win. So yeah, I think that the first thing where where I wanted to start here is just the, uh, the so, so the Safdie brothers, as I said, so Good Time came out last year on Netflix with Robert Pattinson in, which was great. Um, I've seen their, I forget what their, their name of the first film's called. So I've seen a couple of their films now, and I think they are incredibly talented directors um, who have there's a pace and energy about their work that no one else I think can quite match at the moment in terms of in terms of throwing together a, a certainly stressful high energy uh, relentlessly gripping thrillers um, and Uncut Gems Make No Mistake is is a film of that nature I think that the first thing that jumps out at me that I wanted to, to start with really um, and it seems like a bizarre point to start with but I'm, I've started so I'll finish the sound design here I think is one of one of the things that jumped out at me from the moment the film starts like this film is stressful as fuck I think is, is fair to say yeah. and it's just the way there is just constant noise there's constant noise in the background like the moment you walk into his his gem shop where, where he's cutting the jet where he's cutting the uncut gems of the title that's, that's a crumbly sentence I apologize but yeah the, the moment you walk into the shop the moment everyone's in this in the room with him there's so much background noise going on the whole film is just from the moment it starts you're just like fuck me I feel I feel stressed already like I know how stressed this character is and the, it just sets up an atmosphere from the opening minutes and that just doesn't doesn't relent yeah it's right I mean the first note when I was thinking and, and sort of coming up with some notes to, to talk about this film was that this film is a, tr a stress test of human composure I think it's the case <laughs> that like to keep up with the sort of unfolding events plot wise you've got to also keep yourself in check because as you say the sound design is shredding your nerves what's actually happening on screen is also shredding your nerves the fact that the walls are closing in on this guy who's kind of st stolen from Peter and never played paid Paul the guy is always <laughs> owing someone and if he doesn't pay them back the consequences are going to be grim I want to say uh, you know coming into discussing all of the stress around this guy a performance that's important or a character that's important here is a kind of fixer working for Sander played by Lakeith Stanfield who's so great mm. in everything at the moment it seems like who essentially seems to function as a guy who brings people with money into contact with Sandler and his business which as you said uh, sells gems diamonds largely but other gems precious gems in a shop a heavily security protected shop although a security system that at the best of times is not particularly reliable <laughs> yeah. let's say and this is important later in the film uh, one of the people that he brings in contact with Sandler is the real life NBA player Kevin Garnett Kevin Garnett this sort of as you would expect a looming six foot whatever uh, guy who is introduced to the possibility of buying an uncut gem which seems to have an almost mystical power from its uh, origins deep within sub-saharan africa so this is central to 
a series of kind of dominoed events involving Sandler always trying to catch up with himself and not entirely ruin his whole life, I guess we could say, uh, in this case. I mean, to describe a film as a stress test, to describe it as relentlessly stressful in both the sort of visual and... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, auditory Oral, sense. Yeah, auditory sense, yeah. Um, within that, there will be people listening to this who will think, well, why would I want to expose myself to that, Paul? Well, how is it that this film has uh, achieved such a positive, I think, um, assessment on your part anyway, even though it's so stressful, I guess, is my question. I think because that ultimately, surely that is the point of a thriller, is ultimately to, a thriller needs to be stressful. You need to be, in order to for a, a thriller to be effective, you need to be as kind of, you need to be right there with the character and it almost feels like you're in his head like if you, you feel the pressure that he's going through because of the way this film is directed and in that in that regard and i think this 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 comes down to how clever the script is in places just just like he is like adam sandler's character is a prick like you should again you should hate him you absolutely should the man is an idiot and he kind of you you think you sit there and a big part of you is like he's getting what he deserves but then a big part of you, and I think because the way the film is structured, you're actually rooting for the guy. You're really rooting for the guy to, to pull this off, for the, to get this last big bet, even though you know you shouldn't. And I think like you're terrified when he's terrified of, of what's happening. And I think that's just the whole the whole energy of the film really puts you puts you exactly... You I think you feel what the character's feeling. Yeah, I, I think you're right. You almost have that first-person perspective where a bit like uh, maybe a character like Walter White in Breaking Bad, even though you know the things that he's doing, are increasingly uh, reckless or just outright wrong uh, you're so with him in those moments for better or worse that you can't help but feel a sense of sort of it's, maybe sympathy is the wrong word but but you know a, a kind of kinship with this guy and what he's going through just even on a human level even though you know that he's kind of brought the house down on himself through a mixture of kind of hubris and greed particularly greed I mean it's a film obsessed with greed and the idea that greed begets more greed begets more greed and this almost is never going to end anywhere other than the guy in a body bag possibly by the end of the film uh yeah a, a, a very sort of singular experience i would say i i've got to say for me paul that there is a, a i don't know what the point is but there is a certain point maybe in the film and maybe as it draws towards its conclusion that i did feel a little bit like battered and a little bit like worn out and those things can be spun as good as you say and on the other hand I guess a little bit I was a little bit less taken with Uncut Gems than I was with Good Time um, and maybe that was just through a sort of ramping up of the levels of exhaustion that I felt going through these events. I've spoken to people actually Paul who've switched the film off because they realised they couldn't take it. They wow. couldn't take the okay. stress. A bit like a friend of mine who revealed to me that he didn't watch any more of Breaking Bad because it was too stressful. So the stress test is not going to be passed by everyone. And the people who do pass it are maybe never going to be quite the same again, maybe by the end of this thing. No, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think, yeah, that that for me is is one of the film's major strengths. The other, the other major strength of the film, I think, is 
you know, a lot of people came out and like, oh, another good Adam Sandler film. Now, as you say, if you've watched some of his earlier films, you know he can act. Punch Drunk Love specifically. Um, so performances-wise, I wanted to talk about the performances. Adam Sandler's great in this, but I really wanted to talk about Julia Fox here as well in the supporting role as his kind of long-suffering girlfriend, I think, or more like mistress, the way he treats her, to be honest, because he treats her like shit. And I think this is, for me, is the first time I've seen her on the screen. My understanding is I think it is her first film role. I think she was a New York socialite of some description um, and a model um, before this. But I thought her supporting performance uh, was absolutely fantastic, Pete. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I, I largely agree with you, man. Like, I think it was a, a really good performance and, and the performance that you would expect of someone who has a great deal more experience on the screen, uh, I think it's fair to say. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, maybe revelation is too too great of a word for it, but I think really good, really, really strong performance, certainly. And every bit the match of Adam Sandler in these sequences that they spend yeah. you know, time with one another. But one thing that was a bit weird for me in the film, although it does speak to, I think, the Safdie brothers' relationship with the industry, quote-unquote, is the bit with The weekend. Yeah. There, there was just a yeah. section of the film where they're like, oh, it, Sandler goes to a, a concert, it's a concert of The Weeknd, because he's looking for the Julia Fox character who might be getting off with The Weeknd, and no one wants to let him near The Weeknd. And you just think, like, what, what's happening here? Like, have they, they've just made friends with The Weeknd, I guess, and have just. Yeah, I love that bit, to be honest. I didn't, I, yeah, I did not, expect to, did not expect to see that in the film. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that bit. And yeah, I think. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely, and it, yeah, I think because it's set. I think the whole film is set in 2012 when the weekend was just breaking out. But yeah, it's it certainly feels a little bit bizarre. But then you've got a real life basketball player in this, yeah. so is is it that much of a stretch, really? Um, no, and I did, yeah. For me, I think it's and I said I said last week when we were talking about it. For me, like I, this film is pretty much flawless in my opinion. Like I had such a good time with this. Uh, no pun intended. Sorry. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I had such a I had such a great time watching this. And yes, it is relentless. Yes, it is stressful. And if you don't like to be stressed out whilst you're relaxing on the sofa, then maybe give this one a miss. But in terms of in terms of delivering, I think for me, it's the most accomplished Safety Brothers film yet. I think they're incredible directors, and I think their their ability to kind of pick you up and put you down right at the end and leave you as sort of an exhausted mess is kind of second to none at the moment. Uh, yeah, nigh on nigh on flawless for me in terms of how much I enjoyed this. I'll be honest, this is one of my be very surprised if this isn't sitting very high up um, at my films of 2020 at the end of the year. Um, yeah, I absolutely love this. I thought it was an incredible piece. Yeah, of work. voluntarily inject a panic attack into your own eyeballs and ear, yeah. ear yeah. channels uh, with with a viewing of Uncut Gems. I mean, we can't re- recommend it more highly than that, I think. Uh, both this and Good Time are really good, man. And like, uh, yeah, I have, I guess I have a couple of re- reservations about Uncut Gems or not even reservations, but just more like maybe it didn't blow me away in quite the way that it sounds mm. like it did you. But that's not to say anything other than the fact that it's clearly a really good piece of work. And it's a piece of work that everybody who has Netflix can access, as we always say with these things right now. So yeah, if you can take the stress, maybe, you know, just have a cup of tea, relax, get yourself a biscuit, settle in and know that you're in a safe space and it's not really happening to you and you can make it through through with with Adam Sandler and with these guys because it's worth the ride it's exhausting but it's worth the ride I think yeah absolutely yeah fantastic piece of work I loved it go see it or watch it at once so talking about things that might be exhausting but might also be worth the ride we'll be back right after a little break with our second feature review this week which is The Lighthouse right after this (laughs) 
so yeah, this is the Lighthouse, uh, our second feature review of the week, uh, directed by Robert Eggers, who has previously made one of my favourite horror films of the last few years, The Witch. Um, so anticipation for this is is pretty high. Um, this stars well, just Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe as two lighthouse keepers who but well i'll set this one up because it's pretty easy to set up to be honest um and leading on imdb again obviously uh two lighthouse keepers tried to maintain their sanity whilst living on a remote and mysterious new england island in the 1890s um before we get into what we think of the film here's a clip what made your last keeper leave he believed that there was some enchantment in the light went mad he did tall tales but Eggers, you mentioned The Witch. I think people who are aware of The Witch will kind of know what to expect here, but for the uninitiated, this, I think it's fair to say, Paul, is a director with a very distinct vision and a way in which he <laughs> yes. wants to present work. Work that isn't going to be easily confused with the work of I would say almost any contemporary filmmakers, uh, very few anyway. What we'll notice, or what you will notice immediately with The Lighthouse is this boxy square aspect ratio that puts it out of time and out of sync with modern cinematic releases quite deliberately. We've got this stark black and white cinematography uh, and this sets up this sequence of events that take place in this lighthouse, as Paul has already said, in the 1890s which is going to feel oppressive and claustrophobic and difficult and inescapable for these two guys played by Pattinson and, and Defoe of course and um, yeah I think that gives you an idea of where we are with the lighthouse at the top of this building is this light which becomes a sort of metaphor for a number of things Paul kick us into a review of it where do you want to start with the lighthouse I mean, uh, where do you start with The Lighthouse, to be honest? As you say, you know, it, this is a distinctive film. It's an uncompromising vision. Uh, so uncompromising, in fact, that in the screening I watched, uh, I think four people left. So that was that entertained me almost as much as the film. Because I've, I've actually watched this twice this week. So, I uh, yeah, that's probably give you an idea of, of what, I, what I thought of it. But, yeah, as you say, certainly a distinctive director, um, certainly a distinctive vision. I think the choice of leads here is fantastic. Uh, Robert Pattinson, I think, is reinforcing himself as one of the finest young actors working today uh, and William Defoe, uh, you know should should need no introduction but is also uh, incredible here so yeah I think a lot of this this film is I think the cinematography and the lighthouse is as much a star of the film as the actors are themselves um, but that's not to say the actors don't both give fantastic performances because they do yeah yeah agreed I mean to start maybe with that from my side then um, both 
com very committed performances. I would say my read on this, and I haven't rewatched it as you have, Paul, so I probably need to do that before I can make an absolutely final conclusion. But going off one viewing, I felt that the Defoe performance was the stronger of the two. I think that at times Pattinson's accent goes a bit all over the place, um, and there may be character reasons for that, but they weren't made entirely clear, I don't think. Uh, then Defoe's performance, I think, is is a really kind of incredible piece of work because as you would expect with many great uh, actorly performances, he very much disappears into this character. He looks about 20 years old in his actual age. He's kind of uh, weathered in the face. His beard's grown right out. He's kind of sunken eyed and, and sort of scary at turns and goofy at other turns and uh, just irritating for a lot of the film, to be honest. <laughs> a very strident. He gives a lot of sort of monologues about um, sort of highfalutin subjects where you get to the end of the monologue and you're not always entirely sure what he he's communicated but you were kind of compelled to listen very intently but to... don't tell him don't tell him that you don't like his cooking. absolutely don't do that yeah absolutely don't do that and it's very very bad luck to kill a seabird and he will tell you this he will tell you this very clearly uh, at times at times if i'm being hypercritical i sort of found his performance a little bit showy maybe but i might be being unfair because i think it speaks to a wider point for me which is again maybe going to get me in trouble with my co-host here that in this film, more so than The Witch, occasionally I found the direction a bit showy as well. I felt like okay. it's true, I've seen it written a number of places, it's true that like so many of the shots in this movie, Sean Baker was one of the people who said this on Letterboxd, but like so many of the shots in this movie are beautiful, like little pieces of art, like we said with something mm. like uh, Cold War a year or so ago, yeah. right? Uh, very, very uh, deliberately framed, carefully arranged, but I think at a certain point that for me can be slightly distancing because I start to feel like I'm seeing a sort of showcase of what a director's capable of rather than maybe everything being entirely crucial to the telling of the story. Okay. But that might not be fair. I mean, it tells its story very effectively. Just sometimes I didn't want to be around the story that was being told, I guess is what I'm getting to. Uh, tell me some more positive things about this because I don't want to be a downer at the sort of midpoint of our thoughts. No, I mean, no, for me, and again, I said it's it's worth watching this more than once for sure because there's there's a lot to digest. It's it's at times it is, uh, yeah, it's a bonkers film at times. There's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you've got some very very disturbing scenes of people drinking petrol um some weird very weird stuff going on in this film for sure i'm not going to spoil anything um because you, you, d you don't obviously don't want the film spoiled but no for me i yeah the cinematography i thought was beautiful i think the uh, i didn't it didn't feel unnecessarily showy to me i mean it, it stood out certainly you could you could it certainly stood out it's one of the highlights of the film but i think there's like in the way some of the shots are structured like you've it's not it's not a new technique to film things from a low angle to make them look creepy but for me like there was almost uh, there was kind of elements of dread attached to almost every object that he turned the camera to so the ladder for example near the beginning when he first goes up the ladder like you're just like that's creepy and like just the when he's the the this kind of I, yeah i kind of I can kind of I can probably picture some of the shots I think you see like when he pours the oil in and you see the pattern forming in the oil and that kind of thing but I thought for me it, it just it lent the film an incredible atmosphere mm. um, and it yeah it, it kind of yeah it's certainly he's an auteur there's there's no doubt there's no doubt about that with Robert Eggers he's you know he certainly likes to put his his touch on things and I just think it's one of those films that 
couldn't have been made by anyone else. I think and that's quite that's quite an an accomplishment to establish such a strong style in such in so few films so far. Yeah, um, and, and, and I mean just tagging on that, like as far as he is an auteur, uh, for whatever it's worth, the the themes at play here of kind of remote remoteness, loneliness. Uh, like sexual frustration is a massive theme in this movie. I mean, there's an yeah, awful yeah. lot of wanking. We might as well say it up front. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- this kind of sense that these men are so cut off that they begin to go mad as a result not only of their uh, the inaccessibility of other people, but their lack of escape from the... Um, surroundings of another person right like the idea the the idea that uh, hell is other people well in this case with Eggers film hell is another person and it's the other person that you have to be with day in day out as you go through these tasks with a particular power dynamic at play that sort of shifts through time the idea like in um Maybe this is a weird comparison to make to something so highfalutin as Robert Eggers but uh, do you know that film uh, The Hole with Kira Knightley I don't think I've seen it. An old, well, an old film. I'm aware of it. Early two thousands. But that in that film, uh, the characters are in an underground bunker that they effectively they get stuck and they can't leave, and they're driven so mad with sort of the stir crazy nature of being this underground bunker that a character gets bludgeoned to death for a can of coke, and you kind of feel like uh, the comparison is being made here because in this environment when things are so harsh things are so difficult the the elements are so unrelenting the ocean's always there threatening to kind of wash them away or at least ruin any plans or any structures they've put into place that that how do men remain sane how do men remain civil polite uh, cooperative all these things start to fracture and kind of fall apart and so thematically I get all of that stuff I think though sometimes you walk into a situation like that where you realize okay this is what the director is concerned with and you think maybe I'm not in the right headspace to be smashed over the head with those themes right now and perhaps that's Mm. where I came from with The Lighthouse yeah I think yeah it's certainly a film that and having seen well technically I've seen it three times now because I kind of fell asleep when I first watched it Perhaps I watched it somewhere I shouldn't the first time round, I'll be honest. Um, yeah, I kind of was quite tired when I watched it. I watched it after Christmas dinner, in fact, so that's not the time to watch The Lighthouse at all. Um, so, yeah, and I think the more the more I've watched it, and it, sound, it sounds easy to say, but the more I've watched it, the more I've appreciated it, to the point where I think if you look at the... And again, I'm not a big fan of star ratings, but if you followed my repeat viewings on Letterboxd, it's crept from four, four and a half to finally finally landing five stars when I saw it in the cinema again yesterday um, so it's a film that I think once you know what to expect and you go in and you can kind of um, it's kind of you know what's coming I think that like kind of the shock value of some of the the like the more the over the top scenes shall we say the more the creepier scenes I think once that shock values detached from it I took more from it I'll be honest um, on, on repeat viewing so I think it's certainly a film that rewards repeat viewings um, it's certainly not going to be a film for everyone um, and as much as that's a, a lazy term it well I guess what film is but yeah this this will be an acquired taste for sure if you like the witch you kind of have an idea of what you're getting yourself in for uh, what you're letting yourself in for sorry um, but no I think so, yeah the more I've watched it the more I've warmed to it and I think yeah it's another another great film to be fair in in my book um, and certainly a worthy follow-up to the witch for sure yeah yeah I, I I think that's I think that's accurate and I think I mean maybe to separate the two uh, and if I like I say I need to go back to it and watch it again because then ideas like this kind of 
are more fully formed but maybe because there is such a lack of femininity because you've only got two men uh, you're with two men for an awfully long time yeah. and also two men who signpost the fact that uh, alcohol has a particular set of effects on men and then yes. proceed to yeah. go through all of those effects in their actual interactions <laughs> with alcohol during the, the running time here uh, I, I i guess that's a particular kind of experience and so yeah and i mean anything you say about robert eggers is a particular kind of experience he's a particular kind of director and i'm i'm very grateful that a director like this is able to get a project as sort of weird out there and abrasive as this made right and distributed mm. in in the year sort of 2020 and 2019 i guess in in other territories so yeah i i absolutely stand by the fact that i'm glad this exists I just don't know that I, en maybe enjoyed is the wrong word. You're not supposed to enjoy this time, but whether I got as much from the film as maybe I hoped I might, I guess is it a mm. way I could. I didn't, could didn't quite meet expectations. I, I don't know, man, because I guess expectations were of something a bit like this from the guy who made The Witch. Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess where so, do yeah. you go? I mean, he was going to obviously deal with a different um, set of circumstances and, and the, the set of circumstances here are, distinct so um yeah but but as we said paul you know great performances incredibly well shot uh there are people who would absolutely love it and there are people who are gonna maybe find it difficult to get along with but it's certainly a film that's worth the time and the and the consideration oh 100 yeah i would sit myself in the camp of absolutely loved it to be honest but it's taken i'd say it's taken me a couple of viewings to get there mm. um because initially i was just like what the fuck am i watching here yeah like and i, I, I could appreciate the artistry behind it for sure on first viewing but yeah i think i've kind of almost i think there was there's elements to this we'll, we'll move on shortly but yeah there's elements to this like uh, what i got from picking up on sign the second viewing is like william defoe's character is he just fucking with him for the whole film or is he actually looking out for him there's the things yeah. like that that yeah. you kind of become like more aware of the more you watch yeah it. no i had i had that precise thought because i thought oh is there a kind of joke here that this could be called the gas lighthouse in the yeah, sense yeah. of the way in which he's treating yeah his his companion yeah. and uh so there's certainly a lot in that thematically there's loads here i think i think sometimes maybe even that's the the issue as well there's there's sometimes just for me, there's sometimes just too much of some of these things, and that's well, there's a lot to unpick. There's the there's the Proteus references, and the, so there's that that whole side of it as well, which it's not something I'm that familiar with. So um, there's that whole side of it to unpick as well. So yeah, it's a dense film yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but um, check that one out at your first convenience. Uh, it's currently available at cin in cinemas nationwide in the UK anyway. So uh, no excuse if any of that stuff sounds like stuff that you might enjoy. That one's the Lighthouse. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will count down our top five picks for Oscar nominated work uh, performances, films and so on. We'll explain more after the break. So yeah, back we are with our top five picks from uh, this year's Oscar nominations. So yeah, I mean, I kind of, I could have, we, we could have done top 20 snubs this year to be honest with the amount of stuff that i think deserves to get nods that didn't um but i'm gonna you know i'm a little bit grumpy about some of the things that have been snubbed this year but then that's the kind of thing every year and every year i say oh i'm not that bothered about the oscars and every year i end up talking about the oscars all the time so i think everyone's guilty of it so here we are um yeah snubs though i think yeah we, we won't go into lulu snubs, wang so we'll mate. lulu grumpy. wang 
Olivia for the Wilde, farewell yeah. books, is a big snub. Olivia Wilde for books uh, for Booksmart. I think that was a yeah. snub. I think that could that should have got some love. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's two. That's two of many. I will say. Um, yeah, per- acting performances for the Lighthouse, a film we've just been talking about. Uncut Gems got no love at all. Uh, anyway, we're not going to do this. This isn't that section. Uh, Pete, start. Let's start us okay. up. Okay, keep me positive. Okay, so yeah, the basic idea here is. Uh, but any category, something that we believe or have strong feelings should win in that category. Not that we're predicting that it will. That's a different conversation for a different time. But to be honest, I don't think either of us are that interested in having. So yeah. I've gone at number five for my uh, nomination or at least my preferred uh, winner in the category of animated feature. And that is I Lost My Body, which of course has been nominated in a group of, I think, five maybe animated features. Uh, I Lost My Body for me has to be number one there because it does something so different and so creative this is one that we reviewed on the show it tells the story of a severed hand that travels across Paris to try and reconnect it seems with its uh, owner and uh, the love story or at least um, uh, romantic pursuit story that surrounds the losing of the hand is then played out in a sort of non-chronological order uh, a French movie subtitle French movie watch it in the French language with subtitles it's really really good You've seen this as well, Paul, right? I have seen this, yeah. I know I like it, and it certainly would be my pick in that category as well, to be fair, because I really enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, whether it will do, whether it will win or not, you don't know. Toy Story Four is in that yeah, category. But, which, but, but like which we said, Paul, I, but, yeah. I don't care what wins in the category. I just think it, w- it no, should no, win. What have you got at number five for you? Uh, so at number five, I have got uh, visual effects. Um, what I would like to see win the visual effects uh, award, and it is Avengers Endgame. Um, because whatever you think of the first hour of the film, which I don't like as much as Infinity War, um, the Endgame, the spectacular moments in Endgame, the set pieces, the massive battle, the the climactic scene with Thanos and the armies and the superheroes is just probably one of the most impressive things I've ever seen put on a big screen, to be honest. Um, and for that reason alone, I think Endgame deserves to win Best Visual Effects this year. I think I don't think I've seen a bigger scale film ever, ever committed to screen in terms of a, a sci-fi epic. And it, the work they've done there is incredible. Um, and the film just looks, looks fantastic. So yeah, I'd like to see Endgame get a nod uh, for visual effects. Nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a strong pick. And it's sort of not one that I considered but it's hard to argue with that as a pick in that category so yeah nice uh number four for me is in the category of adapted screenplay and this one is for me uh greta gerwig's adaptation of little women which i think just does such a good job with the source material and turning it into something that feels both um kind of loyal to that source material or, or, or true to that source material but also utterly contemporary and relatable and um, relevant in the modern world and the film is such a delight such a pleasure and so much of that is down to the massive amount of hard work that Greta Gerwig's done on that adaptation and also of course in directing the film so uh, expertly as well so yeah that is for adapted screenplay and I would go for Greta Gerwig for Little Women what have you got a four Paul? Uh, at four, I've got uh, best animated feature uh, going to I Lost My ah. Body 
believe it or Great not. Pick. So yeah, I mean, you've talked a lot about that. I, I, I echo pretty much what you've said. I think it's a fantastic piece of work. It's beautifully drawn, um, utterly, utterly compelling film. Um, and yeah, really, 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 really good film. As I said before, whether it win or not doesn't really matter. That's not the point of this list. But yeah, I lost my body would be my pick for animated feature. So for number three for me, I delve into a category that I think is pretty competitive. This is actress in a supporting role. So we have here the likes of uh, Laura Dern in Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson in uh, Jojo Rabbit, Kathy Bates from Richard Jewell, which actually I haven't caught up with yet, and then Margot Robbie in Bombshell. But my nomination or my pick here is certainly Florence Pugh, again in Little Women. I think Florence, as good as Saoirse Ronan is, and she's great in Little Women and elsewhere, Florence Pugh is so good in Little Women. I mean, particularly the uh, now what's going to be much played sequence in which she explains the limitations of her roles of her role in society as a woman to the Timothy Chalamet character. I mean, this girl is 24 years old. And the way that she commands herself on screen is like somebody who's been in, you know, this kind of level of the industry for an awfully lot longer. The only rub on Florence Pugh, Paul, that I've just discovered in the last couple of days is that she's currently dating Zach Braff. What is happening? But that doesn't take away from the fact that she should win uh, Best Actress in a Supporting Role. In my in my opinion, I think Laura Dern is maybe pushes her close. Just again, personal opinion from Marriage Story. But uh, yeah, Florence Pugh, actress in a supporting role. What about you at number three? At number three, I have uh, actress in a supporting role. Can you guess who I'm going for in this is one? Is it Florence Pugh? Florence Pugh, yes. <laughs> we didn't <laughs> We didn't talk to each other about these we lists. We did not at all, no. We did not talk to each other about these lists at all. Uh, for the exact reasons you've mentioned, I think she's an incredible young talent. Um, it's nice to see her get more recognition. Uh, if Her earlier work's been fantastic. Um, but yeah, in terms of deserving for Little Women, absolutely. I think it's an incredible performance. Um, yeah, she's a, a very talented, very talented young actress and arguably should have got a nod for leading lady for Midsummer. in all honesty, mm. um, because I thought her performance in Midsummer was also fantastic. Yeah. She's great in everything, yeah. to be honest. So um, yeah, well deserved. I hope, hope it's Florence Pugh. I can live with Laura Dern, I'll be honest, because she's also great in Marriage Story. Um, but yeah, I, I hope it's for us. Yeah, and perhaps not, you know, Academy Award nominatable, but uh, Fighting With My Family came out last year as well, and she was really good in that too, yeah. even though it's not, you know, an astonishingly good movie. I think her performance is great. Uh, number two for me is in the category actor in a leading role, in which we have contenders like Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, Adam Driver for Marriage Story, Jonathan Price for The Two Popes, which is the one that I haven't seen, and then Joaquin Phoenix as Joker, which was never in contention when I thought about this character, uh, this category, because the winner is quite obviously the sublime performance from Antonio Banderas in Pain and yeah, Glory. I had to, good pick. I had to put Pain and Glory in here somewhere because it was my film of the year last year. It's amazing, and I can't wait to rewatch it and rewatch it. But this performance is up there with sort of career best stuff, stuff from Banderas. He's like both vulnerable and misguided. He makes terrible decisions, but he's also able to reflect on his decisions and his mistakes as he looks back on his life and his recent uh, actions and choices it's a brilliant brilliant performance and I hope it gets the love that it deserves whether it will or not I don't know I mean there are other strong contenders in there as well but that's my pick at number two action leading role Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory what have you got at two Paul? Uh, this for me is cinematography um, I just 
yeah, it, it's got to be 1917 here, in all honesty. Like, I think the film looks... In, it's an incredible technical accomplishment, without a shadow of a doubt. Whatever you think of the film, whether you like it or dislike it... Um, well, that, I say that, I don't know anyone that's really disliked 1917, in all honesty. Um, but yeah, it's in, incredible. It's incredible piece of work. I, I kind of was thinking that maybe I'd like Lighthouse to win something, because it looks great. But if you look at the achievement of how 1917 was shot and how it's done, it's it's Roger Deakins, probably one of his finest moments, to be fair. Like, the, 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 the look and feel of the film to do it as if it's a single take at, at this scale although as I said it's been done before um, but in a less sure way to do it at this scale I think is, is nigh unheard of and I think I think it will win that award and it's well deserved I think um, for Roger Deakins there I don't think anyone can argue that you can say what you like about 1917 you can't argue with how good it looks I don't think mm. yeah no it was one that came really close to getting on my list, list as well for the reasons that you've that you've mentioned there Paul because yeah, it's kind of a, a, a feast visually um, and such an achievement from everybody involved, particularly Roger Deakins, as you say. Uh, number one for me might seem a bit of a weird one because you'd think you'd put sort of a massive big hitter category at number one. And I kind of haven't, although I do think it's a very significant category. And that is original screenplay. In here you have things like Knives Out fantastic uh, marriage story really good once upon, upon a time in hollywood also really good 1917 that you've just mentioned but of course the best original screenplay has to go to bong joon ho for parasite i think that there's going to be a tension on parasite for a number of reasons because obviously it's in the best feature category it's also in uh, best director for bong himself but i think if there is one thing to highlight above all others about this production this film uh, parasite it's above the performances and above the direction and above the director himself it is the writing because this is a film that is able to touch on so many contemporary societal issues while still being funny and entertaining and horrifying and thrilling and so many other positive descriptors that i could use here so i just think it's a kind of a stunning achievement as a piece of original work to craft something that so perfectly encapsulates things that could be relatable to different stratas of society for different reasons and at once being like angry in a way that we know that this director can be having experienced things from you know Snowpiercer and back from there so uh, yeah I think the screenplay for, for Parasite's brilliant and that is my number one pick for the Oscars for what it matters which is very little what have you got number one Paul? Uh, Parasite for best picture. Ah. <laughs> I'll just th throw that in there. I think it would be. A, I think for me, it's almost head and shoulders. Maybe that's unfair. It's it's uh, for me. It's a cut above the other nominations in in best picture, um, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, uh, yeah, Little Women maybe runs it close um, in terms of a, in terms of quality. But yeah, for me, it's certainly my favourite. Um, it's a very very original film, as you've alluded to with with the screenwriting. Um, and it would be great if a foreign language film won Best Picture. That would be that would that would be great. Um, and yeah, Bong Joon Ho, I think, is an incredible filmmaker. He's um, yeah, you never know what to expect from his films. He's made such a such an eclectic mix of work, uh, all of which I've enjoyed massively. So um, I think it would be it would be great if he got his moment in the limelight, shall we say? Um, especially for you know, especially for a film um, like Parasite, which wouldn't normally get a wide release, which wouldn't normally get a lot of love in terms of in terms of multiplex releasing that kind of thing I think it would be great 
to get this film wider to give this film the recognition it deserves because it's a brilliant piece of work yeah and hopefully from that it'll be a springboard for a lot of people also to jump back into his previous work that maybe is less yeah. seen than than this one now that's kind of uh, emerged and been given a bit more shine so yeah absolutely on side with that I think we've basically agreed albeit focusing on two different categories that are number one yeah. I mean it's the same film getting the spotlight so yeah watch Parasite you guys um, and to tag on to that Paul next week's show we're going to be feature reviewing uh, Parasite alongside our review of Birds of Prey so come back next week for our full thoughts on why this is such a great piece of work and why you should definitely definitely watch it yourself if you haven't already uh, Paul anything else to add for today I mean we usually roll out here some credits have you got anything that comes to mind in terms of stuff that you want to give credit to Not this that week? jumps out at me to be honest uh, this week because I've been in the cinema so yeah credit to the cinema there you go <laughs> well that is absolutely fair enough in that case we'll save credits for next week and next week's show we'll get back to normal with the credits section but for now you can obviously get in touch with us and we appreciate when you do you can get to us through twitter at strangers cinema or you can email the show which is strangers in a cinema at gmail.com please get in touch uh, in addition if you're listening to this show on your apple podcast or another platform where you prefer to procure your podcast give us a review give us a star rating and write something it helps to move the show up in rankings and get more ears to the show which is ultimately what we're trying to do with this thing is spread it around and get more people listening so yeah anything you can do like that would be massively helpful paul anything to add no uh thank you for listening and we'll be back next week shut up and sit down